I'm Zach Bohannon. I make my living telling stories, but I'm also a metalhead, retired drummer, avid gamer, and most importantly, a loving husband and father. Join me each week as I sit down with a fellow dad and discuss balancing a creative life with family, careers, hobbies, and all the other things guys love. This is the Creator Dad Podcast. Dan, dude, what is going on? It's been a long time since we've chatted. It has been a long time, Zach. Thanks for bringing me on. Dude, I appreciate it. Yeah, you were uh, you were definitely one of the first people I thought about when uh, when when I came up with the idea for this podcast. So I definitely I definitely wanted to get you on one of the early episodes for sure. Well, I appreciate you know having the chance to come on and talk about you know the things that I've been working on, and it's just been a really crazy couple of years, and you know a lot of ex- unexpected experiences in in the uh, book writing and book selling business. So yeah, there's probably a ton of topics we could go over. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of stuff I want to talk about with you because I know you've had uh, some pretty big changes and stuff going on since we chatted last. But before we get to any of that, though, I gotta ask. Um, I I can't talk to you and not first talk about music and I, I have to know what you've been listening to lately <laughs> I, I've always been very enigmatic and strange and eclectic when it comes to musical taste so I mean you'll you'll catch me on any given day you might catch me listening to you know death metal or uh, Adele or uh, some some pretty nasty um, uh, street um, hardcore rap so yeah and uh, you know i always listen to uh the stuff i grew up to as as well like um you know the old classic punk from the 80s um definitely the the new wave post-punk scene from back then uh if it wasn't for spotify i'm not sure what i do with myself because i have just so many playlists (laughs) and that's kind of what keeps me busy you know when i'm not writing is i'm I'm working on playlists and putting together you know oh i remember that song you know i'm throwing them in there so keeps me (laughs) occupied when i'm driving gives me something to listen to yeah one of the things i love about spotify is i I love the way it introduces you to new bands you know like it'll do those daily mixes and stuff and it'll make really good suggestions because i mean otherwise you know, I, I kind of feel like I've gotten up to that age where I just listen to what I listen to at this point and don't really go out of my way to find, you know, new bands or new music and stuff. But I love how Spotify will make suggestions to you. And I've I found out about so many cool bands just because of that. Yeah, it does a really good job at that. I've been surprised too. you know, it's stuff that it found from from the 70s and 80s that for whatever reason, like completely went past my radar back then which was totally in my wheelhouse had I heard it. And there was, there's a band called the wipers and their, their first album, you know, came up as, as a suggestion for me. And I started listening to it and I said, this is just like, you know, great classic punk. <laughs> I, I so enjoyed it. And, and the rest of the stuff they did after that was not very punky, but it was still very post punky. Uh, but, but that album, I mean, I was immediately sold. So yeah, anytime that, that they make a suggestion to me, Spotify, that is, I, I always give it a listen because they're usually pretty close. Yeah. And it's, it's, you're, I'm a lot like you. And I think most people are, are like that where they don't, where they have, they listen to a lot of different stuff and like, I'm all over the place too. I mean, I listen to a lot of metal, a lot of, you know, nineties rock. I listen to a lot of indie music. I like Adele, stuff like that, you know, but then I have all these 
soundtracks and stuff I listen to when I'm writing. So like oh, Spotify okay. sometimes just doesn't know what to do with me. <laughs> but but I, I tell you one thing I love they do too is I love um I love when they do your end of the year statistics. Yeah. And they they show you like what your most listened to song was and stuff. And and another thing they do that's kind of cool is um uh, I got a notification and ironically I don't know it kind of creeped me out the day it happened but like right before the pandemic, I went to an Opeth concert and, and that morning it gave me a notification telling me I was in the top 1% of Opeth fans in the world on Spotify, oh, wow. Yeah, which was cool. I was like, wow, that's, but I was like, does it know I'm going to this concert? <laughs> it was really weird. So yeah, uh, I'm actually, as we record, I'm seeing them in Mastodon next week, which will be my, uh, I, I went to one show since the pandemic. Um, I went and saw my buddy T.W. Piper Brooks band with honor here in Nashville. They did an outdoor show. Oh, awesome. But, um, but, uh, but this is like my first, uh, not that that wasn't a concert, but like first one where I'm going and like paying for a ticket type of thing. So sure. Um, yeah. So to be, I haven't been able to, to force myself to go to an indoor venue for a concert yet. Uh, I'm sure it'll come soon. I'm still a little bit squirrely on that, but yeah. Uh, I've been to, you know, some, some live sports outdoors and, you know, I've really enjoyed that. So I'm like slowly getting back into things. I rode the subway several times in New York city and really wasn't that creeped out by it. So I'm I'm starting to get used to things again and I'm, I'm double vaccinated. So I hope I'm hoping that, you know, things will be okay. Yeah. It's definitely a weird thing. I mean, this will, you know, I've definitely done a lot of indoor stuff and, and all that, but this is like this, this concert is definitely indoors and it'll be, it'll be interesting, but I'm not, I'm, I'm vaccinated and stuff and I'm just not really, uh, I can't, it's, it's at the Ryman, which is like the best (laughs) indoor venue to see a band and like uh, it's Opeth. So I can't miss it, (laughs) you know, (laughs) exactly. So Opeth and Mastodon. So I'm like, I I have to go to this show. Mm -hmm. So, uh, do you listen to music while you're writing? I can't, I've tried it before. It, It does distract me. Now I can listen to some soundtracks. Okay. Yeah, as long as there's like lyrics involved, it really does bug me. And if it's got like a driving beat too, it, it's very distracting. Gotcha. I tend to write in front of a, um, in front of a, uh, a, a box fan. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> that, that, that white noise just yeah. you know, kind of relaxes me and gets me, you know, to, to get into the, into the flow. And then I'm just not distracted. Yeah. Jay listens to that white noise stuff. And like, I, I, I don't know, I, I typically listen to soundtracks. Like a, I have a whole list of, like a playlist on Spotify and a lot of uh, most of it actually is video game soundtracks. Um, But, uh, but I also went out of my way early on to teach myself to write and listen to music with lyrics. (laughs) Like (laughs) I used to not be able to do it, but I was like, I really want to be able to do that. So um, yeah, it's, 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 I can't really do it if it's something that if it's a song that if it's something new, I can't really do it because then I want to pay attention to it. But sure. if it's songs that I know really well, like I can, I can sit there and listen to them all day and it won't bother me. So, but it was definitely a learned skill. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think if it was a new song, it would uh, distract you way too much. Yeah, for sure. So, but, uh, but yeah, man, so you, you hinted at, um, you know, kind of the stuff you've got going on. And uh, I guess one of the first things I really want to say to you is congratulations. Cause I, uh, have kind of heard through the grapevine and kind of been paying attention to you and stuff. And uh, you've been crushing it, man, on the fiction side. 
Oh, well, yeah, thank you. I, it's It's been very surprising. Uh, this definitely, I didn't see that coming. Uh, but the the amount of uh, of revenue and income growth over the last few years is is pretty staggering. And it allowed me to retire early from, from my government job. And uh, I'm just, I'm a writer now. It's, it's fantastic and able to pay the bills and um, actually pay the bills much better than my, than my real job did. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's been uh, very liberating and, and uh, very enjoyable. Yeah. You, it, before you did stuff with like, with weather, correct? Wasn't that what you were doing before? Sure. Yeah. I was a meteorologist with uh, NOAA, uh, with the National Weather Service. Um, I began in 1994 and I worked until September of this year. Dude, well, that's awesome. Like, congrats on being able to, uh, to, to retire, you know, and, and be able to just do the writing thing full time. I mean, that is, that, that's amazing. So, um, so I know, you know, the, when, when you and I first met, uh, which gosh was, probably 2015 at this point or something like that. Something like that. Probably around the time that I released Storberry. So probably I'd say 2014, maybe. Yeah. It was somewhere around there. It was, it was cause I met me and Jay started talking in 2014. Mm -hmm. So it could, it was 2014 or 2015 at the latest for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But you were writing horror and I mean, that was kind of your, your primary thing. And you had also written, um, I mean, the post-apoc, uh, Dark Vanishings was also definitely had a more of a horror slant to it as well. Um, but uh, but that that's what you were doing. But things seem to have really taken off for you when you switched over to thrillers, it seems, right? Yeah, it was a huge change. It, I probably wrote horror through late 2018 or maybe early 2019. I forget. You know, the last few years have been a real blur. Uh, <laughs> So I, I realized that, um, you know, after probably a dozen book publications that it just wasn't happening. I wasn't growing my fan base. The sales were pretty much steady state and they, they weren't paying enough bills to begin with. I mean, it was, it was just kind of like, you know, maybe I can go out to dinner once a month. Um, so I, I realized at that point that Writing is is very difficult. It is very emotionally demanding, psychologically demanding. And in order for me to continue to commit this much effort to writing, it has to be worth my while. And if it isn't, then I'll find something else to do. I mean, I, I'm not so much of, you know, the, I, I, I don't glorify art that much that I will sacrifice my life for it. And, you know, I'm juggling, you know, a career, a wife, kids and and hobbies outside of, the, of, of writing. And, and I just am not getting ahead. So I, I decided that I needed to make a change. And I had written a book called Severity, which since then I've, I've renamed to a, a far more psychological thriller type name of Her Shallow Grave. And when I wrote it. I kind of had like Silence of the Lambs in, in mind, something like that. Um, I think it maybe it turned out to be a little bit more like um, the, the movie Sleeping with the Enemy, if you remember that from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I marketed as a horror novel and I got a horror cover made designed for it. And I named it as a horror novel and it just flunked. And... I really thought it was the best book I'd written up to that point. And, and I just didn't understand why nobody wanted this book. Was it the cover? Was it the description? I mean, you go through all those things and, and it, it, 
almost never is one of those one of those things. And as I sat back, I realized it wasn't even a horror novel. I mean, that was that was pretty much a straight, uh, I wouldn't say crime thriller, but somewhere between psychological thriller and serial killer thriller. And I realized at that point that uh, I had marketed it wrong. I had named it wrong, and I didn't get a, a cover design which was correct for it. That kind of made me wonder what would I have experienced success-wise had I tackled it properly from from the get-go. So I did I did realize at that point that I had loved writing that 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 novel. It, I just felt like it was my wheelhouse. I had elements of horror. I had uh, lots of inter interpersonal relational relationship uh, um, themes that you didn't get into as much in horror. Not that you can't, but but you know you usually didn't. And it just seemed like this was my wheelhouse, and it was a lot more open ended, and I had more fun writing it. So I decided to take a a shot at at, at thrillers, and I was thinking something along the lines of like. Um, uh, Silence of the Lambs meets uh, Criminal Minds, and maybe I could serialize uh, a, a series of novellas or, or novels like that. And uh, I just ca I came up with a concept, and I started jotting a bunch of notes down. And I, it certainly didn't take off from the get-go, but I knew from the beginning that it was the right move. And after a while, it started to gain traction. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Like. And it's so funny because, you know, I, I started out much like you and, and so did Jay and so many other people I know were, you know, I wanted to be a horror writer. And I, sure. I, I quickly found out, you know, when, once you start getting into, you know, uh, what it takes to make money as an indie and stuff, you know, the, uh, specifically as an indie, I mean, uh, the you keep hearing over and over again, you got to write in a series, you got to write in a series. That is so hard to do with horror. It is. <laughs> you it's know, really I, hard to do. It's mm -hmm. so hard to have a recurring character because, I mean, if you think about like, I mean, because people might listen to this and be like, well, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, there's all kinds of horror franchises that have series. But the thing with those is it's always about like the villain, you know, it's always, you know, you've got Jason or Michael Myers and these personalities, personality less um, killers. And then all the the, you know, quote unquote, good guys in those books are all just like forgettable characters um and and when you're writing in a series you obviously have to have like a protagonist to go through with it but when you're writing horror like that kind of takes some of the suspense away because you're like well is that person going to die at the end <laughs> you know because that's yeah, kind of that's yeah that's absolutely true the art form between the art forms between writing and and uh you know screenwriting are they're very different in, in what is accepted especially when it comes to horror and those were the the examples with, which I immediately thought of. I mean, how do you create a horror franchise? Well, I mean, the only ones I know that that exist and and worked out very well were were things like you know the Freddy movies and the Jason movies and the Michael Myers movies. And I don't know that that is as accepted in in the novel realm, yeah. uh, in the novel form. You want each book to have a satisfied satisfying ending and if the reader knows that the mythical serial killer is just going to rise up and kill again in the next book yeah it, it, it's something that i i guess you kind of even though it's kitschy you kind of uh accept it 
in in the, in the movies and you go and you munch on your popcorn and you have a good time and you don't think that much about it. Uh, but in the novel, I think that you need to have something which is a little bit more fleshed out and a little bit more logical literary. And I just, it didn't fly to me, no matter how many times I tried to come up with a way to maybe franchise a, a horror series in novel form, I couldn't do it. Now, one one uh, suggestion another author gave me, which I didn't apply uh, at the end, but I had considered that maybe it might work. And instead of writing about a villain, uh, like a, a recurring killer, what if you like wrote about a town and yeah. some eerie things that happen in a town and it just kept happening and happening there. And because it's horror and maybe it's paranormal or whatever, a lot more is accepted, acceptable as, as to why this would keep happening. In yeah. this town. Yeah. So it's kind of open-ended. I didn't go that route. Um, I do think that that is one path to take if you want to survive as a horror novelist uh, and write, write in a franchise form, but man, it's hard. Yeah. I've thought about the town thing too. Like that was one thing I thought about and a, a, another example, cause I've thought about this stuff a lot. Like another example I thought of that is from films is like the conjuring, you know, right. where you have like these paranormal investigators who are solving different cases, you know? So like, that's another way you could go, but even then, like it's, it's, there's very few examples. I mean, I, th I think, uh, I, I'm, I'm speaking, I mean, for myself, like, but I think you probably were in kind of a similar boat. I, that's kind of how I ended up in writing zombies and post apoc Like when I wrote empty bodies, I thought I was writing a horror novel, mm -hmm. you know? And then, uh, cause I always like thought zombies horror, you know, and, and, and it is, but then you kind of realize it's its own genre and stuff. But, but I, but my thought process there was, well, it'd be a lot easier to serialize this because, you know, I was thinking of things like the walking dead, which had just hit at that time and how you could continue to tell a story. And I know you did a similar thing with dark vanishings. And I would right. think that was probably part of your thought process with that too. Yeah. I, I, I was definitely thinking along the lines of horror when I, when I wrote dark vanishings and probably somewhere between like swan song uh, by Robert McCammon and, yeah. uh, and uh, the stand of course, by Stephen King. Those are kind of the two novels which were, you know, fluttered around in the back of my mind uh, when I, when I wrote those, those books. Uh, but it just, I think you could, I think I probably could have had a lot more success early on if I had just tackled post-apoc without the horror and, you know, not even necessarily zombies. It, it just, it could have been like an EMP or, or whatever reason for, for the epoch. And then you, uh, you write about survival. Cause to me, when I wrote Dark Vanishings, the most interesting part about those books was uh, dealing with how people uh, communicated and survived and, and uh, found their way and just the little fun things they did to, to stay alive. I mean, that to me was kind of like, you know, kid in a candy shop. And I really did enjoy writing those those chapters. Um, and I think that if I if I were to write post-apoc again, that's would be my focus. I don't think I'd, I'd make it much like horror at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's the stuff that really does well in post-apoc is those survival stories about the people and, you know, them and these crazy situations and stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so what made you go to thrillers? Like, I know, um, I know that you're also a big fantasy fan and, you know, you and I've talked in the past and you've, you've 
thought you had thought about writing fantasy at one point, I believe. And uh, cause I know you're like a huge Terry Brooks fan and stuff. So um, what, what ultimately made you go to um, o- over to thrillers? Yeah, I, I certainly considered probably a half dozen times over the years to, to write fantasy. Um, I'm a huge fan of, of the Robert Jordan novels of uh, Patrick Rothfuss, who I'm still waiting for him to complete his trilogy. <laughs> Everyone is. <laughs> yeah, it'll probably be forever. So, uh, but either way, I mean, when I read those books, they are so perfect in literary, and the fans are so demanding, and that just isn't a realm I want to play in. Uh, I, yeah. I. I think that uh, you're really opening yourself up for a lot of criticism to get into the fantasy realm. Um, I, I, I love to read fantasy. I would like to try writing it. Um, I did somewhat to a degree with, with dark vanishings and also with, uh, with shadow, Witch with, with Jay. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that I could commit to full out fantasy and uh it just it seems like it's not something you can just pick up. It's something you it has to be in your head, and you have to be you know working on that for years before you can gain proficiency. You know, and I think that you know with horror, it was it was a very easy transition to thrillers because I write tense scenes, or at least I try to. Um, no, you do. You're great at it. <laughs> well, I appreciate. Thank you. Yeah. And, and then you know, having written Severity, uh, aka Her Shallow Grave, I already had an entry point there. So it was it was kind of a, a thought, well, can I do this and, and, and turn it into a series? And that's where I got the, the idea of, uh, you know, focus on like um, the profilers for the behavioral analysis unit of the FBI and, and the monsters that they track. And that immediately lends itself to, all right, new story every book. They have somebody else to chase down. It's, you know, the stories end up just kind of writing themselves like that. Um, and it gives me an opportunity to to jump in multiple play boxes. I can I can write the tense horror type scene. Um, I can focus in on on the mystery aspect of the thriller uh, and and how they solve it. I could get into interpersonal relationships, um, and that's how I came up with the Scarlet Bell series. And you know, Scarlet and her her partner Neil Gardy have. A relationship which you can tell even, even from the first couple books there's there's a tension there's a, a an attractional uh, tension in between them and it kind of grows as the series uh, uh, goes on uh, but there's overarching storylines and then there's the individual storyline for each book and it keeps people coming back um, when I first wrote the first book I I showed it to a few people and I, I just I got so many rave reviews and they were like you know, th- this is it. This is really going to work. And then I put it out and it was just like crickets. Nobody cared. Nobody cared at all. And I, I put that first book out at 99 cents. And I was trying this rapid release thing where the second book would come out 14 days later. Third book, 14 days after that. Second book came out, priced at 2.99. I probably sold like three or four copies that weekend. Third book, same thing. I, I, I really thought, my God, this is a disaster. I you know, I'm probably going to wrap up this series in book four or five, you know, finish up my losses and walk away. And I'm just going to be done with writing. This is too frustrating. Uh, but I, I, I finally sat down and realized what I was, I was pushing a boulder uphill at that point. My entire reader base, 
uh, my newsletter, my my Facebook fan page. Those were all horror readers, and they didn't give a rat's you know what about me writing this Scarlet Bell thriller series. So, and I probably shouldn't have expected them to. Um, you know, a few of them checked it out, really enjoyed it, and was like, "Yeah, I'm coming back for more." That was about it for them. Uh, I took a risk. Uh, Facebook ads had never worked for me at all, ever. And uh, when uh, when I wrote horror, and I decided, well, instead of just like giving up, I'm going to create a Facebook ad. I'll get a little creative with with who I target. And I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to advertise that first book and see if I get read through. And I immediately started to see pleasing uh, clicks, uh, uh, click, click costs. So if, if you're familiar with Facebook ads, you're paying for the impressions and then you hope you get a bunch of clicks so that maybe you keep those clicks down to maybe 20 to 30 cents per click. And, and that's, that's about what I was paying, which was pleasing. But the most yeah, solid. was, yeah. yeah, people were actually buying the book. Like, like once one out of every 10 clicks was buying the book. And I knew that far more people were actually reading the book because uh, your affiliate codes won't track Kindle Unlimited buys or, or borrows. Mm. So I had all these page reads which are coming in under Kindle Unlimited as well. So I did a little bit of math and I, I, I quickly realized that with the read through, even through four or five books in the series, I was already paying for, for my clicks. And the more books which I wrote in that series, the more profitable that ad would become. Now, I knew that there are no free lunches in advertising, especially in Facebook ads, and it wouldn't take long before that ad you know, went bad on me. But it lasted about two months where it worked really well for me. I was putting out more books, so, so the ads are getting more and more profitable. And the most important thing which happened during that time was people discovered me. It wasn't so much that I was profiting on those books as much as they were discovering my writing, deciding they like my style, and going on to check out, you know, whatever thrillers that I had, I had also written. So now my newsletter is growing. My Facebook page is, is growing. And it's like, I, I started from scratch. I like changed mail providers and made sure that this was a clean list. This this wasn't horror. This was people who like thrillers were finding me now. And you know, Facebook was Facebook. I mean, I couldn't change my page, but still, the the lit the 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 list of followers on Facebook probably tripled or something over the next two years. Wow. Um, so it was it was very pleasing, and the most important thing that was happening was I, I was building up this cachet of followers so that when I finished the Scarlet Bell series and started my next series, there are already a lot of people who wanted to buy those books. And I started setting things up on pre-orders and, um, you know, that, that too really worked out very well for me. And you could see the rise with each pre-order that it was just more and more people, you know, you get like, um, I think I only had like 40 pre-orders over a month and a half for um, Darkwater Cove, which was my next my next series. But by book two, I had over 100 pre-orders. And then by book three, it was even more than that. Um, now, when I write the Wolf Lake series, I'm disappointed if I don't get four figures in, in pre-orders. Wow. And that's over like 45 to 60 days usually. Wow. So it's um, things have really changed. 
And it's gotten to the point where the books are selling themselves, the people are ready for them. And all I need to do is alert the masses, hey, it's it's out. And actually Amazon's doing a lot for me because they're they're great at just telling people, oh, that that author you you bought from, he's got a new book out or she's got a new book out. And people react to that stuff. Um, so yeah, it's it it started to happen for me and it became automatic. And you know, that was something which I dreamed of happening and I didn't think it ever would, but eventually it, it built itself and but it took it took a few years. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> that's for, that's for sure. You know, and, no. and, uh, dude, that's amazing that like, cause one of the things I was going to ask you about, I was curious, like, uh, you know, I, how your, your old audience reacted. And I assumed you had to start from scratch and build a new audience, but that's so crazy that Facebook ads was what, like, you're one of the first success stories I've heard about Facebook ads, like to that degree to where that was enough to get I, I, like the really important thing you said was it it got new people who didn't know you to discover you and to discover you in this new genre you're writing. So then you were able to build a mailing list. And then at some point, you know, it doesn't take that many sales on Amazon to get their algorithms attention and to get it working for you, you right. know? So at some point, yeah, that fit those Facebook ads, like you just can kind of work that out where you don't need it as much because you've built this list and have this audience now. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, I felt very fortunate. I think that the time was just right. I, I, I had almost nothing in terms of reader base at that point. So I was very much a new commodity to, to a lot of people. Um, I, I did some interesting targets. I think uh, I, I targeted like a suspense for a while, but one, one target which worked really well for me was just to target people who like the Criminal Minds shows. Yeah, uh, you know that works really well, and in in honesty, you know Facebook ads usually don't work for me, and they haven't worked actually in several months. It's been a long time since I've run a Facebook ad. Um, I pretty much once I got the ball rolling, yeah, you don't I need to now. Over to, <laughs> yeah, I switched over to AMS, and you know I, I mostly sell through Amazon ads, but you know th their conversion rates are much better, uh, and they have a much hungrier. Uh, audience, they're very warm for books already, obviously, because they're on Amazon. Yeah. The, the thing that is an issue with with that, though, is they're so expensive because authors know how powerful those ads are, so they they bid up the costs. The only way I make money on ads uh, advertising through AMS is by uh, writing series. If I, if my series is in at least six books, it's going to be a hard time to, to get enough read through to make those ads profitable, you know? And so I'm probably paying, you know, between 60 and 90 cents per click and probably getting a buy every 25 to 30 clicks and a borrow, maybe every 10 to 15 clicks. And that adds up to enough to, to keep me in, in the black. Um, so I've been, I've been pretty happy with AMS ads since then. And you know, I can't stand Facebook to begin with, but yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. <laughs> I, I'm really, I, I, I just don't even like the business or Meta or whatever they're calling themselves these days. Yeah. Uh, but, um, I, I will say though, that that initial ad was very crucial to at least getting me off the ground with Scarlet Bell. Yeah. I mean, it's something that especially, and I think this is a thing of newer authors more than anything, like something newer authors don't want to admit is like 
readers won't just follow you to know no matter what you write <laughs> you know like readers like their genre and they like to stick with that you know so you can't assume just because you have a bunch of readers for you know in your instance for your horror stuff that they're going to jump over and just start buying your thrillers even though like you know with psychological thrillers i mean there is like like even Sansa Lambs that you brought up earlier. I mean, there are horror elements to that. Like there is some crossover there, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, it still is a thriller, you know? Um, But, uh, but another thing I'm curious about with you writing thrillers is cause like, like I've thought about writing thrillers and, but one of the things that kind of scares me away, honestly, like you were talking about fantasy earlier and how there's like the fan base and stuff. You don't want to get caught up in that. One of the things that worries me about writing thrillers is it seems like, and this isn't always the case, but if you want to really succeed in writing a series and thrillers, you kind of have to have like a cop main character or like a detective or, or something like that. And I, I feel like that type of stuff, I would mess up. So like, I guess I'm curious, <laughs> you know, like how did you, how did you tackle and manage that? I mean, cause you, you know, in your old career, you were a weatherman, you are meteorologist. I'm sorry, like not, you weren't a cop. <laughs> so I'm just curious, like how you kind of manage that. I, I take a lot of notes. Um, yeah. So I'll watch, uh, I'll watch a lot of documentaries on, on either profilers or how the FBI catches criminals or how, you know, police catch criminals. I watch, I watch a lot of uh, very disturbing serial killer documentaries and I'm constantly like scribbling down notes, either internally or or actually writing them down on a piece of paper, um, and and that gives me at least a, a place to start with, uh, you know, how do these people act? Um, how you know what what are the procedures which are followed by law enforcement? Um, I, I think you can do a, a, that type of thriller without a law enforcement lead character. Uh, my Darkwater Cove series features a woman who's terrorized by a serial killer, and she was a former BAU profiler, uh, but I don't think she needed to be. I, you know, now that I look back at it, I think she could have just been, you know, normal, everyday Jane Doe, and it still would have been a compelling story. Um, it, I just, I think that I probably thought the same way, that I, I needed, I needed that FBI element in there somewhere. Um uh, and my my latest series, uh, Wolf Lake, is is uh, based around a small town sheriff. So again, it's it's law enforcement. Uh, but I think that you could get away without it. Um, but if you are going to write in that realm, then you know read read up on you know inter- or watch interviews and read up on um, you know the types of procedures which they go through and and just take a lot of notes um, so that you not only are are writing a, a realistic story but you're also getting ideas for, you know, how do they catch the bad guys and girls? Now your Wolf Lake series you're working on now is, is that something that's going to have a definitive end or is that going to be like a a Jack Reacher type thing? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm writing book nine right now and that that's due out in February. And I love the characters so much. And, And again, this, this story has become a lot more than a thriller um, at its at its face value it is very much uh, a serial killer thriller but beneath it's more about relationships and redemption and understanding people 
and just watching how these characters evolve uh, from book to book, it it um, it even surprises me. You know the things that um, that they've they've come up with over time and the way they've they've grown and matured. Um, so I really love writing these characters. They feel like family. I don't want to leave them at the moment. At some point, I think I will probably end the series and then branch them out into their you know individual series. There's a few characters which I have an idea for uh, that uh, they may be able to form their own series and move on. Uh, but I'm not near the end of Wolf Lake now. I don't know if it'll be a dozen books. I don't know if it'll be much more than that. Uh, but I'm not running out of ideas, and I just I love the characters too much. Yeah, it's I would say you know ride if you're enjoying the characters, ride that as long as you can. Sure. <laughs> Especially if it's success. Like I have a, a friend of mine, my buddy Robert Crane. Um, he writes fantasy. He has a series called Girl in the Box, which has been very, very successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, the biggest piece of advice he gave me was he he'd said he had tried at one point to like branch off and do like other series that were related. And he was like, dude, it's so hard to get people to understand that and to go to those other and like to go to another book one. And then when he tied it all back together and just kept it all in the same series. And now that series is like 30 books or something like that. Like it turned into a seven figure series for him. Wow. (laughs) You know, so uh, yeah, that's, so that's, you know, with the thrillers, if you can keep that going, if you enjoy writing the characters, then (laughs) I would keep that going as long as you can. (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely do. And luckily it's got such a strong following now that it's kind of supporting, supporting everything that I do. Uh, I am starting another series. It is a branch off from, from the Scarlet Bell series. But even still, like the pre-orders are, are so tepid compared to, uh, you know, what's going on with the Wolf Lake uh, yeah. books. So, yeah, it's going to take a while. I'm, I'm hoping to get some type of promotion with a fellow authors, you know, some some way to to jumpstart that series and bring new readers into it. And, you know, once I do, I know that as long as people still like the books, then it will grow organically just the way the other books have. I mean, uh, the, the Darkwater Cove series and the Wolf Lake series were, were very organic. Once people bought book one, they started to buy the other books. So, you know, I just need to get people in that front door. Yeah, absolutely. And that back catalog will, will help hold you up too, for sure. So, yes. Um, one thing I'm curious about with you is, um, like now that you, I, I know you've always had the indie mindset, but now that you're, you know, in this big genre and you have this big mailing list and stuff, have you considered pursuing traditional publishing? Yeah. I mean, it would have to be the right uh, situation. I did receive an offer from a, a publisher, which I'm at least aware of. And, <laughs> you know, it has um, a lineup of, of authors who I'm familiar with. Uh, it was certainly tempting um, I, I decided to, at this point, say no, uh, but I would keep them in mind for the future. Um, it would really have to be the right situation. It is a lot of work, but now that I'm retired, being able to run my own ads, it's not as overwhelming as it used to be. Yeah. I can find time during the day to you know, put, put some things together. I'm just kind of very organized, too. With, and I think that's really key for, for a writer whether you're indie or, or you're, you're published uh, you know, traditionally, you need to be very organized so that, you know, you have a list 
a list of tasks which you need to create, you know, on, on, or to, to complete on every single day, whether, you know, just not just the writing aspect and the editing aspect, but, um, you know, uh, checking on ads, creating new ones, um, working on your mailing list, um, you know, anything you can do to, to kind of move the needle. Maybe it's just like a simple blog post on your, on your website just to get a few more eyes uh, from Google. Um, you know, I'm working on something every single day. So yeah. um, that's, I just, I consider it a business and I treat it as such. Yeah. I mean, you have to, I mean, especially if, if your goal is to, to make money off of it and, and everything, which clearly for you, it was, you know, and um, you know, I've, I've really, I've, I was very indie mindset early on and I've, I've kind of turned on that a little bit, like not turned on, like I've still very much love being indie and want to keep doing that, but I'm more open to pursuing traditional publishing now. And kind of the way I'm looking at it is for one, I have like standalone books I want to write that I sure. think would be really good to do traditionally. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I just feel like it could give me an option to reach people I'm not currently reaching and, uh, you know, talking to, you know, getting to talk to JD Barker every single week on my, on Writers Inc., uh, you know, and, and hearing his experiences being, being traditionally published and, and stuff. And he's a, he's very hybrid. I mean, he, he, um, his agent, Kristen Nelson, um, who represents a, like Josh Mallerman and a lot of other people um, is very, um, very progressive and is very, you know, understands when the right time for him to take stuff indie is and all that. And, um, you know, he obviously writes, uh, his books with James Patterson and stuff, you know, that he co-writes with, but he also like a caller's game, his latest novel was indie published and he still got like sold the film rights and stuff for it. That's perfect. You know? So, um, but, but I say I to say like, there's, he's kind of turned me and thinking like, man, there's, I, I definitely could reach a big, a, an audience that I'm just not reaching, but it would have to be like, you're saying I, the right agent, the right deal, like all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yep. And you know, since it's working for me now, I, I just, I'm kind of in the, it's not broke. Don't fix it mode. Yeah. Uh, but I would absolutely entertain an offer, which, you know, I thought was right for me and it was right for my career. Yeah. And it seems like for you, I mean, similar to what I said, you know, you could continue to write your series books, but then like, you know, maybe here in a couple of years, you have a really good idea for a standalone and like in between those series books, you kind of working on this standalone and maybe that's what you pitch, right. You know, and, and try to sell. And then if you can't, if you don't end up being able to sell it to an agent, then you just indie publish it, you know, yeah, it, but it is strange. It's, it's like, I, I know a lot of indies who are very successful. And if you look at their standalone novels, they are very rarely nearly successful as their as their yeah. series front runners, and that's it. I'm not sure why that is. If it's just the Kindle Unlimited crowd, they love to read a series. You know, I'm, I'm not sure what the psychology is there, but it is so hard. You know, just past the advertising aspect, even if you've built up a large audience anyway, who you would think would be willing to read your standalone the success rates of standalones are, are so far and you know, few between or few and far between with, with uh, indie authors, even very successful indie authors, which are doing a lot more sales than I am. Um, and I don't understand it. Uh, but I, because of that, I stick to series and uh, luckily I enjoy the characters and keep writing those characters. So you kind of hinted at this a few minutes ago too. I'm curious, like, 
um, you know, now that you're full time and stuff, I mean, like, uh, what is, what is kind of your day to day look like now? And how's that transition been for you? Well, um, my day to day is, is to write, uh, for, I, I really do have this down to a science. I write for 75 minutes every day. Nice. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's enough time that I can get in enough words on average that I will uh, finish a manuscript uh, within 60 days. Nice. Now I used, I used to have uh, a timeline of 45 days and I did that really for like the last 12 to 18 months and it was very successful for me and people were definitely keeping up with my books. I mean, they were hungry for the next one, but it was also really crazy for me too. And it wasn't even so much like keeping up with the writing. It was, oh boy, all right, now I have to get the book cover and the description completed and I have to design the the, uh, the paperback as well. And, and I have to do it on this day, this day, and this day, and then everything will all line up and I'll get it out out in 45 days and it just got to be really crazy at, at some point and I also have an editor too and it's like working on, on her schedule so um i decided that for my own sanity and to give myself breaks the way normal people in the world have breaks you know most people have you know the weekend off or something like that that i would move to a 60-day writing publishing schedule uh which I can complete on 45 workdays, but that gives me 15 days to do whatever. So Christmas, I don't have to work. Thanksgiving, I don't have to work. Uh, something comes up, you know, a you know, special occasion, death in the family. I don't have to be like, well, when I get home, I better write, you know. Um, so I, I have that flexibility now, and it's honestly made me a lot calmer. And I think the write the the writing flows a bit better, knowing that I have a break here and there, and um, I feel a little bit more refreshed after a day or two off and I come back and just kind of, you know, wail away at the keyboard. Um, but um, there were a lot of different things to work on when I first started, and uh, the first thing I started with, and um, I I would recommend this to to all writers, is to up your word count, and you can do that any way you want to. I mean, you don't have to you know read you know, Chris Fox wrote uh, 5,000 words per hour, I think. And, and then yeah. there's somebody else wrote like, I think 7,000 words per hour because they just had to up, up him, one up him, I guess. Uh, it, it, it's not necessary to do something like that, um, but it's necessary to improve. Uh, so, you know, the more words you can get out, the more quality words you can get out in a, in a day, um, the closer you are to completing that novel, the closer you are to your next sale, and, and to leading to your next, your next pre-order after that. So, you know, it behooves you to work on it. Um, I, I set up myself with a timer. Um, I used to do 15 minute writing sprints and then I switched to 30 minute writing sprints and I go back and forth now based on, you know, what my mood is for the day. Um, and I found by doing that, I was able to increase my word count from about 250 words every 15 minutes to about 340 to, to 400, nice. depending on how well it's, it's flowing that day. Slow day, I may only get a little bit over 300. If I really know the story and I'm wailing away at those characters and that storyline, then I may eclipse 400 in 15 minutes. Um, and just making those little changes, it upped my word count by so much that it allowed me to get onto that 45-day publishing schedule. Um, so 
if you want to save yourself some work, take a few weeks where you time all of your writing sessions and could just compete with yourself. Remember, you're, you're, you're trying to get out quality words. You're trying to tell a quality story. I'm not the brain dump type. I'm not the, the person who can just like spit out a bunch of gobbledygook just to get all words on page and, you know, just to get the storyline out of the page and then go back and fix it any afterward. Because to me, that's just like doubling my workload. I don't yeah. want to do that. I'm the same so way. I want to get yeah. Out, yeah, I want to get out quality words. And another thing which I learned too, and this was from an old interview with um, with Dean Koontz. Uh, Stephen King likes to wait, I think, six months or something like that before he even looks at his manuscript and then edit, edits it. And Dean Koontz, who's you know one of the biggest names in thriller and horror, takes the exact opposite route. So yeah. it's you know, whichever one you think is best for you. What, what Mr. Koontz does is he writes during the day and then he edits in the evening what he wrote. And that's, um, that, to me, makes the most sense for my psyche. Um, I like to know at the end of the day, that chapter's done. It really is done. It's in, it's in you know final draft form. And when I finish on that last day of writing plus editing, I can just hand it over to my editor and I'm done with it. I'll just correct her edits after I get it back from her. Otherwise... I'm done. The story's done and I can go start my next story. Um, so that's, um, that's, that's another trick, which I use. So I do about 75 minutes of writing, maybe 45 minutes of editing. So basically two hours of real hard work per day. And then it's, um, I may put in like a half an hour per day of like admin type stuff, working on ads, answering emails, um, doing podcasts, you know, you know, whatever. <laughs> Um, you know, those are, those are the things which come up during your day and again, treat it like a business and, and, and make the time for those things. And that way you don't get left behind. Um, I get all my covers, everything's lined up ahead of time. So, I mean, everything is, is, um, set to go as, as soon as, uh, my pre-order date, uh, comes due. Yeah. You're on it, dude. I mean, once you've done this enough, you just, you can kind of get in that flow and know all the different things you have to get done and, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. You found like such a, 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 a I think you said scientific, you have it down to a science, like a, <laughs> a, a way that works for you. So I, I think that's, that's awesome. How, yeah, how's, a, uh, go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. There's another little trick I'd add to this, which yeah. would really help everybody with, with that type of flow. Um, Chris Fox actually came up with this, with this one in one of his, his how to write books. Uh, there's a, an app you can buy called things. Uh, I got it on my iPhone. I think it cost like $9.99 once, and that was it. All you do with this thing, and it, it, it works a little bit like Google, Google Calendar, only it's a lot more full-featured. You can like design entire projects with it. Uh, but you, you'd create tasks every day, and they can be recurring tasks. And it pops up with a message on your phone. Um, there's a little red icon which says you have a task waiting. And until you tick off that you have completed that task, it continues to stare you in the face. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you're like everybody else and your phone is always kind of around, yeah. it's always there reminding you. So every day I have a reminder to write for 75 minutes, to, to edit, to do some admin work for 30 minutes. Um, if, I have, if I have to get my description to my cover designer by a certain date so she can get my book cover to me by a certain date, then I put that in there too. I know when my pre-order orders are, everything is lined up there. If I'm running a promotion with another author, that's all lined up as well. Um, so I know the day that I need to send it. 
Um, it just, it keeps me so organized and there's no way I could, I could do all this stuff without a little reminder app. You could probably pull off the same thing with like Google, Google calendar or, or some Apple app, but, um, this one is just perfect for me and was nine ninety nine. I mean, when, you know, you're selling a ton of books because you, you have your workflow in, in, in order. Yeah. That's a very small expense. <laughs> yes. If, if you, if you're getting four figure pre-orders on your books, then that's a, uh... Uh, yeah, that's, that's a super tiny expense for your business. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how, ha- of course, this is creator dad. So, you know, I, I try to also like wrap some family stuff in these podcasts. How is your, uh, you know, your family's reaction been, and you have two kids, right? And they're college age. Is that correct? Yeah, they're, they, boy, it's time flies. So my daughter graduated uh, last May. Oh, wow. And my son is graduating uh, next month. That's so, awesome. Yeah. My daughter's already like out of the house. She's got a job and is living in Brooklyn. So I mean, <laughs> nice. crazy, crazy times there. And uh, my son, you know, we'll find out what he's going to do probably pretty soon. Uh, but uh, so that, that aspect has changed, but yeah, I mean, if you go back to 2014, those kids, well, let's see, that must've, that must've been, all right. So they were about 15 or 14, depending on the day uh, during that time. And yeah, so I'm like, I'm a father and I'm writing and I'm working and there was just so much to juggle. Um, And at the same time too, is I was hiding what I was doing from everybody because I didn't (laughs) want to be one of those people, you know, that says, you know what, I'm going to write a book. Yeah, sure. You're going to write a book. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, every day, like before I went into work, like if I was working an afternoon shift or maybe had the day off or and my, my wife is at work and the kids are at school. I'm just banging away at the keyboard, writing this gory uh, Salem's Lot-esque vampire story called Storberry. And nobody knew I was doing this. Nobody. And I didn't want to tell anybody what I was doing until the manuscript was complete. The cat kind of got out of the bag. You know, we went on a vacation. The kids saw me just blasting away onto my keyboard sitting out on the deck and by then I, you know my wife was starting to question you know why are you always up there on the computer you know typing away like that and can't be porn <laughs> so, and, <laughs> you know, you know you i was just really like, talented for that to be porn. <laughs> yeah 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 it's really fast typing porn it's, it's a new thing <laughs> you probably never encountered it so at that point i had to come clean with her and she was just you know wow you know you're actually writing a novel and by then the the, the manuscript was almost completed so um, it, it wasn't like I, I was like just kind of boasting and saying, this is what I'm going to do. No, it's almost done. And then I, uh, I spoke to the kids about it. And by then I was almost to editing mode. And, and once it got into my editor's hands, uh, then I started to tell everybody in the world about it. Um, but up until that point, it was a really weird vibe in the house where I'd kind of have to sneak off to write. Um, and, and to this day, I, I don't write in secrecy. Everybody knows I'm a writer now and that I'm working on these stories and the people in the house, a lot of them have read what I've written before. Uh, but I don't uh, allow anybody to see anything uh, until my editor has gone through it. So, oh, nice. Yeah, it's, it's a complete project by then. My wife serves as a beta reader uh, and you know that's her first in, in encounter with the story. I don't want her to see like a, a bunch of typos and gobbledygook and just broken storylines. So until it's done, uh, nobody sees it beyond my editor. 
that's so like most writers I know me included like they're like our my wife and like I said friends like don't even care to read our stuff so it's it's all and I don't it's like I don't care I don't push it I'm it's it's not what she's into you know so it's not like I'm offended but it's I know very few authors who their wives actually read the stuff they write so that's really cool that you have that going on well I had the same thing though when I was writing horror she didn't particularly want to read that so I yeah. mean, she wrote she wrote you know she read Storberry she read I think a a couple of the early books but i think at that point she knew she was pretty much done with this she's not a horror movie watcher she doesn't like the gore and i was just taking you know readers to very dark places which i don't <laughs> think she was interested in going to uh so but when i switched to thrillers though um she really enjoyed them and uh she doesn't mind the dark scenes at all she's really into those as well um so yeah it's, it's worked out really well and now i've now i've got a I won't say a fan in the house, but I have a loyal reader in the house anyway. That's awesome. <laughs> Women love crime. So <laughs> that's because like, we're always committing them. So they know how to deal with yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, before we come out, go out of here, there was one other question I want to ask you. And, and admittedly, like every time I talk to you and stuff like this, like I, it's, it's always hard for me to bring up your dad. Like I just, I hate bringing it up because I just, <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's just awkward, <laughs> but but I figured because of this podcast being creator dad and, and stuff, like I kind of had a different spin of a way I could ask you a question. Um, and, and uh, so like one of the things that's come up in a lot of these conversations I've had on here is um, th that I hear coming up over and over again, talking to other dads is like how our experiences growing up and, um, and the way our parents raised us, like really um, has impacted how we're raising our own children. And like, I just think you have such an interesting perspective <laughs> and I would be curious <laughs> to know like how growing up with like a, 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 an Uber famous parent, you know, for one, and also who just wasn't around very much, like how that impacted you when you had your own children. Yeah, not having him around uh, and and not an active part of my life for for most of my life uh, was very difficult to deal with, and and I think that that is a major reason that uh, I've always wanted to to have the opposite. I wanted to to foster a close relationship with my kids. Uh, I can talk to my kids like they're you know friends. I can parent them when when I need to, um, and I want to be part of their lives. Um, you know very proud of what my daughter's accomplished, very excited to see what my son is going to do next. Um, and I'd love to share experiences with them. Um, and I think that I would anyway, but it, it's, it's more so uh, because I didn't get to do those things with my father. Um, that was a lacking part of my life. And, you know, I went through some very dark times too with, um, uh, with, with my home life and some things that I saw and um, I think that, that that formed a lot of my ideas about fiction um, as, as I grew older and wanted to create. Um, so I think all aspects of my life have, have contributed to, you know, not only my family life now, but, but who I am as an artist. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. I think what one thing that's really cool is, you know, you've, you have this success now as an author and you've, you know, you've been able to do it on your own, you know, like not, 
not, you know, as Dan Padavana, not as the son of Ronnie James Dio, you know? So I think that the fact that you've been able to do it like that and, uh, even though, you know, there were times where like I saw you on blabbermouth.net or something like that, which I don't <laughs> think the rest of us are going to be on that website, you know, but um, but yeah. I think it's just really cool what you may able to done, be able yeah. to do. And uh, I appreciate you answering that question that way, too. That was that was all that was really awesome. So Yeah. Blabbermouth caught on to the Dark Vanishings release. Yeah. And I remember seeing you on there and I was like, that's Dan. I was yeah. like, that's crazy. There was a period of time there where I where I think for about a month or two, I was adding, you know, a few Facebook page followers per day. And, and it was obvious who they were, yeah. you know, it was, it was a lot of heavy metal fans and, and they were just kind of there to talk about Dio. A few of them did become uh, readers and uh, I really do appreciate them. But usually when I see uh, like a Dio fan, like found me somehow, you know, uh, you know, probably looked up my name or whatever and figured out who I am. And then, you know, joined the Facebook page. I kind of cringe a little, to be honest with yeah. you, because it's not, that's not what it's about. And it's like, if, if my father was still alive and still producing music and I was the famous one, you know, but with his talent, obviously that would not be the case. But (laughs) if I was the famous one, I I would really feel terribly if, if people were coming up to him and saying, uh, Oh yeah, big fan of your son's books. And uh, yeah, I'm going to check out your songs. (laughs) You know, that it's not really, you know, what you want to hear as a creator. Uh, so, you know, luckily most of everybody who's found me on my Facebook page or has joined my newsletter, um, they're, they're legit readers. They've, they've, uh, read my books and, and, you know, enjoyed them enough to like follow me in some fashion. Um, so those are the ones who I, I, I definitely, uh, care most about. Yeah, I, it's, that's awesome, man. Like I, I actually, there's someone locally here who I hope to have on this podcast at some point. Um, and uh he i won't give too much information but like he runs a restaurant and uh his he is related to someone famous as well and has really fought to avoid the association and and just because like he wants to do it on his own you know And, and 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 has done so like runs a really successful local restaurant without people like i i'd gone there a ton of times before I finally figured out just because his wife knew me so well, she told me like, Oh, you know, I was like, Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, I know that's gotta be a kind of a weird spot to be in. So. Well, it's a point of emphasis too, for, for, for aspiring writers or current writers is if you do have that in, if you do have somebody who is somewhat famous, who you could kind of latch on to, or even if you don't, and your your natural inclination when you write that first book or that next book is to tell all of your Facebook buddies about it so that your family and friends will buy these books. That's a really bad route to go down. Yeah. And the reason that it is, is, is not only because those readers aren't going to be loyal, it's because it messes up the Amazon algorithm. The Amazon algorithm, when somebody buys your product, it's trying to determine what else do those people buy and what do similar people to them buy. So if a bunch of Dio fans bought Dark Vanishings or something, then what would Amazon think of that? 
This is like people who buy heavy metal CDs. So should we advertise this book to Queensryche fans? <laughs> uh, you know, maybe like if Kiss comes up with some type of compendium CD, we should advertise Dark Vanishings to them. They literally, the algorithm doesn't know what to do with you. So it's really important that when you build a user base, a reader base, that you get highly targeted readers, people who like readers who like uh, your style. Uh, so, you know, just saying, well, I'm going to uh, target James Patterson fans, probably not a great idea. Yeah. He's too big. Yeah. Target some indies who write like you and do some do some research, read their books, check them out on Kindle Unlimited or whatever. And when you find books which are similar to your writing style, target those authors. Uh, and then you'll start to get readers who are already vetted is liking that type of material. And Amazon will see that and they will know who to advertise to next. So that was a trick which I which I learned too near the beginning. Um, and I, I wish I had known that during my horror days too. I'm not sure that it would have changed things that much, yeah. but I'm sure that it's made a huge difference uh, with thrillers because I look at my also bots and uh, they make a lot of sense. Yeah. It makes, it makes a huge difference. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That, that's how you get that traffic for sure. So, mm -hmm. well, well, dude, Dan, I appreciate you coming on here and doing this, man. This has been a lot of fun. Anytime. Yeah. I'll definitely, I'll definitely have you on again. I'm sure there's a lot more we could have talked about. So, but uh, I appreciate it, man. And I will catch you later. All right. Thanks, Zach. All right. Bye Dan. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Creator Dad Podcast. I'd like to invite you to join the official Creator Dad Discord community where fellow Creator Dads like you and me connect to discuss our creative endeavors, parenting, relationships, music, movies, and TV, sports, money, all the things that dudes love to talk about. Get all the details at patreon.com slash creatordad.